0: Hi, my name is Vivek Mutalik. I'm a scientist at Physical Biosciences Division at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab at Berkeley, California. Today I'm going to talk to you about technical challenges uh, in the synthetic biology field. So let's start, begin by defining the synthetic biology um, as a field. uh, It is a design and construction of new biological systems and parts, and also designing the existing biological systems for useful purposes. Here, the main idea is to use computer-assisted design approaches and engineering approaches with biological research. Essentially, uh, engineering biological functions, making them easier, efficient, reliable, uh, predictable and safe. As a field, synthetic biology has promised a lot of uh, solutions for a variety of problems that we are having today. Either it is in energy, environment, agriculture, health, chemicals, food, uh, or also the understanding biological complexity um, yeah, synthetic biology has promised solutions. As a field, uh, synthetic biology has um, applications in variety of industries, whether it is energy, environment and, uh, and uh, agriculture, health and chemicals. As you can see, there are a variety of applications and each of them have their unique challenges to overcome. Today I'm going to talk to you about a few of these challenges which can be generalizable across different applications. So people have, uh, researchers have developed a variety of approaches to take uh, a gene cluster from one organism, put it in across different different organisms to express it uh, and produce whatever the chemical they are interested in. They've also designed and uh, executed different genetic circuits variety of uh, pathways have been built over the decades to produce particular interesting chemicals. In this case, it is artemisinin production, which is an anti-malarial drug. Or, you, as you know, there is an iGEM competition, which is a worldwide phenomenon, where there are undergraduates from a variety of uh, different, uh, different uh, countries participate, where they come up with innovation, innovative ideas, and using synthetic biology, they solve different solutions, different problems. Now, over the years, people have uh, used a variety of approaches where they have used, uh, they have developed sophisticated genetic circuits. Whereas, this is a dynamic feedback regulation where a particular substrate is producing the uh, metabolite, which is a toxic to the cell, uh, producing the product. So, metabolite can be used for giving the feedback uh, to the upstream pathway. It represses the upstream pathway and activates the downstream pathway, thereby reducing the toxicity. Also, in Drew and Dee's lab, they have refactored bacteriophage T7 with the 12 Kb replaced with the engineered one. From Chris White lab, there is a whole refactoring of a nitrogenase, nitrogenase cluster, where they have developed more than uh, 500 gene clusters, who are going through design, build, and test, and learn cycle. Um, along with that, we have already seen um, there's a whole synthetic uh, chromosome synthesized in yeast, And also, as you can see from here, there is a Freigventry Institute, obviously, uh, done a one megabase uh, DNA from cellular DNA from synthetic approaches. Other than these special cases, other than that, over the state of the art has been slow, expensive, and uh, unpredictable. Usually, the way this uh, system has been working is, PhD-level scientists plan and execute the material, uh, and they test them, and uh, adapt them, and manually assemble them usually has an ad hoc approach where the application is defined and then they couple design and fabrications uh, and go through the iterative cycle um, and usually we don't keep track of the mistakes made or the errors, errors done. So we don't know the, what are the lessons that we learn from every cycle. Uh, so if you can see, if you zoom out and see whether there are, every application has its unique challenges and it needs a lot of money, time and labor to optimize because it's not a simple solution. So in this case, a bioprocess platform, you can see that it has got multiple branches. It has got substrate needs to be engineered, product needs to be optimized, recovery of products, and then also reaction systems, conditions need to be optimized, and so on and so forth. So there's a multifactorial problem we need to overcome, and gene expression is one of the simple challenges that uh, is involved in this process. So if we give you a simple test, to do to solve with the state of the art methodology that we have today uh, take your time to calculate how much money time and labor is needed f- to doing all of these simple projects even though they look simple they have a whole uh, challenges of making them efficient and uh, selective so for example uh, can you engineer a pathway that yields 200 grams of iso- isobutanol in a model organism in shake flask uh, what if, if I want to refactor a gene cluster identified in organism X and express it in a model system or model host, uh, which produces an anti-cancer compound Y? And the third challenge would be, can you f- engineer a phage which can diagnose the pathogenic um, microbe, which is a drug resistant? And then the finally, uh, what, what efforts we need to do to design a bacterial system or virus for cancer treatment? And the answer is, we are not really sure how much money, time, and labor is needed to do all of these things. And people have uh, realized already that this, the challenge is not only the DNA synthesis, which is uh, getting cheaper and cheaper, though we have a capability increased, our, des- our ability to design and put this thing together, we haven't really uh, gotten smart at that. So right now still we have a ad hoc genetic engineering, as I mentioned. We have limited well-characterized parts and uh, there is no reliability and predictability associated with the parts we don't know how to put these things together such that they retain their functionality and then finally also when we put these parts together into circuits we are not really sure what are the emergent properties come up with these uh, complex systems and then uh, context issue matters whether where the genetic circuit is what is the cellular component what is the next region of the dna And what happens is, finally, we are not really learning anything from our failures. We don't keep track of the failures, and we don't know what is happening. And then finally, as you know, that we don't know enough of biology, really, to make the synthetic biology predictably engineering discipline. So how do we really accept all of these challenges and leap ahead? What do we need to do? So, as a field, uh, people have already proposed many of these things. This is a um, a very famous review in Nature, Nature, which particularly shows three things, which three steps we need to do so that we can start solving uh, genetic engineering to the next level. So for example, we need to decouple the design and fabrication, we need to standardize parts and part junctions, and we need to abstract a genetic function. So abstraction, in terms of whether it is a DNA, or it can be a part, or devices, or systems, we don't need to know everything to the detail of DNA sequence. We can abstract to a level where we are working and simplify the problem. So if you see uh, in a simple way, if I define an application, how, the question should be, how do I design it? How do I, what, what specifications are necessary? How do I model it in a computer such that I know what I'm designing? And then choosing the parts, and then building them. Uh, After that, we characterize it and we debug. And based on that, we can actually find out what step we need to debug. As you can see, the design build test cycle that I'm mentioning here is pretty much same for all of the things. Either it can be a software for synthetic biology, or it can be a host system. If I want to engineer a host system, what I need to do? Uh, and then, how do I design and build test learn cycle for a pathway or a device system that we are, want to engineer? Or it can be a DNA part. If I'm engineering a promoter, I need to know really how do I design it, how do I build it, and test and learn. So this cycle of iteration is it applies to all of the sci- all of the branches of synthetic biology. So if you, I give you a quick primer on uh, regulation of gene expression before we go ahead. Here. Uh, RNA polymerase binds to promoter in E. coli and then it, it produces all of these three um, it's a polycystronic mRNA, it produces this mRNA once the mRNA is produced, ribosome binds to the ribosome binding site and it produces these proteins. As you can see, each of these uh, processes are multi-step processes. So for example in transcription we have initiation, elongation and termination and all of these three things are regulated by multiple different motifs. Same as for translation, it goes through multiple steps, initiation, elongation, and termination. And each of these steps are regulated by multiple different factors. So as you can see, if I want to optimize the protein production, I need to worry about all of these factors, along with mRNA degradation. And uh, if so you can see that if I want to really turn the knobs on gene expression, I have a variety of solutions I can, I can approach. So I can change the copy number of the DNA, I can use promoters, sigma factors, RNA polymerases, and so on. I can use a variety of these new knobs such that I can tune up the protein expression. So as a protein expression is a huge complex uh, system, protein expression is regulated pretty much by everything in the cell. So it can be a whole transcription um, machinery along with the translation machinery, all regulated protein expression. It also gets impacted by the conditions, replication of the cell, cell, uh, of the DNA, and also the growth rate, degradation of mRNA and proteins, folding factors, and so on. So how do we really approach and improve the functional composition within all of this coupling and complexity of varying cellular contexts? So uh, this is a slide from Adam at LBNL, where the interesting idea would be, if I take this expression unit or a cassette where I'm producing a protein, And if I put it across different sites on the chromosome, how does it impact the gene expression? How does it impact if I take the same gene expression, put it on a single copy vector or a multi-copy vector? And what happens if same things get impacted by the environmental context? Whether I grow cells in a test tube or I grow them in uh, in 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 a shake flask, how does it impact in a reactor? If I put the same uh, same expression unit in a different strains, how does it impact the gene expression? So how do we take care of this all context reliability uh, matters into when we are measuring a subunit? So there are early methods where we started to assemble uh, parts. Uh, this is a, a registry of standard biological parts which started to catalogue parts from iGEM teams. This is a Joint Bioenergy Institute uh, data sheet where they have a plasmid library and they characterize in different conditions. This is a Seva library uh, from, the, from the European group where they have a um, library of vectors. And this is the data sheet from Drew and his lab where they have shown how to really generate a data sheet of parts under different conditions such that when we read this data sheet we will know what happens with the part, how does it, how does it behave in different contexts. But when you, now there are a variety of approaches people have put together, there are ligation uh, independent methods, uh, restriction site independent methods. But let's imagine if you put together all these into a different circuit, there are different failure modes that can happen uh, and which impact the performance. So for example, uh, uh, now we know that uh, promoter impacts, promoter context is very important. It can impact the protein expression by changing the promoter strength. So, we need to put an insulator, but wouldn't know, uh, we don't know what is the pro insulator region. We don't know what is the RBS context, what needs to be around RBS. What happens in between these uh, junctions between these parts? Uh, And what happens also the scar issues if there are restriction enzyme scar uh, between these parts? How do they impact the overall gene expression? We also need to worry about crosstalks if there are some parts which interact, uh, which should not interact. And then also we need to worry about input-output dynamic range of between different gates and then transcriptional read throughs. So maybe the RNA polymerase does not terminate at the terminator, it reads and interferes with the downstream promoter. And then finally, we need to also understand what are the how how do we generate diversity between the genetic circuits. And if we generate diversity, how do we really screen them or measure them? And then finally, how do we take all of this big chunk of DNA in design structures, how do we put them uh, in, a, in a particular uh, chromosomal or genomic context? And then how do we really quantify by using in silico methods? How do we model them? How do we approach these solutions? So uh, one, of the, one of the approach people have come up, uh, particularly in BioFab, where we have a promoter and then downstream UTR, and then the, driving the gene expression of a gene of interest. And these particular functional units, ex- expression units, are insulated by two different uh, insulator regions. One is upstream insulator and the downstream insulator. So the upstream insulator is made up of a terminator and some regions which we call insulators and the downstream is uh, another terminator. So the idea is that there is no traffic inside going inside the uh, transcription unit and nothing is coming out of this unit. So there are a variety of, uh, many, many publications have come up uh, in recent years where people have really characterized the parts and the junctions. So in this case, there's a promoter library, a variety of methods have been used to generate promoters for E. coli. There are terminators, library of terminators, uh, which are available for E. coli. And also there are junctions, so particularly in this case uh, Chris White's lab has published this paper where we have a ribozyme between a promoter and then the UTR where it can cut down, um, restrict the mRNA such that there is no interference between these parts. Also BioFab has shown this uh, bisystronic design where there is a upstream RBS and then the downstream RBS and then the small peptide coding. Um, between the upstream region of interest, where if there is any hairpin formation between the um, RBS and the gene of interest, will be removed by the helicase activity of the ribosomes. So it has shown that using these approaches, if you have a different genes, let's say in this case GFP and RFP, you get a pretty linear uh, uh, dependency. There's a rank order is maintained across different contexts also there is a, there is a study here shown uh, on the on the extreme right where there is a five prime three prime utr engineering has been done such that there is no dependency between these parts and then the most important, also unanswered question here is the optimal design conundrum, where we don't know what are the really how do we code on optimize if we are expressing a gene from different organism in E. coli or in other bug, for example. So we need to really spend more time and uh, investment to understand how does the gene design is happening and what is the optimum solution. There are some biophysical methods, for example, in this case RBS calculator from Sally's lab has shown that this RBS calculator can be used where biophysical methods are used for expression optimization in a bigger circuit. So one of the things that we always not really take care of is a host and environmental context. So let's imagine this is my gene of uh, this is my construct that I want to really producing whatever I want to produce or doing the program that I want to engineer. We forget is that it's in the context of a whole cellular genetic material, genetic program that already it has evolved into. Then also we forget that it's the metabolic circuits which is part of... So when we take about the context and host context, uh, particularly we don't take care of these issues. So what happens with that is, because of this dependencies, this circuit might be using uh, gene expression machinery from the cell. It might be titrating away the protein degradation machinery. It is using too much metabolites, cofactors impacted by the replication machinery, and so on. And because of that, cell surfaces, it exhibits the burden on the cellular physiology. And because of the burden, uh, cell uh, goes through this toxicity response or stress response, and it impacts the growth rate, and then the circuit performance is impacted. So there are a variety of methods people have come up with. One is, I'm going to show you two different methods. One is the relative promoter units from Drew and his lab, where they have taken these uh, two different promoters, they sent across different labs, and they tested the performance of those. As you can see here, the one promoter, white, promoter, uh, it shows a different performance across the labs and the same thing in the second gray bars are showing a different promoters. As you can see each same promoter shows a different uh, performance under different same conditions in a different labs. Obviously, how do we nearly normalize this? So one idea is to use a relative promoter units where they are dividing one of the activity across the another promoter activity by reducing the context variability in a way. And then the second solution is come up with a part score. How do we really score a part across different conditions? And this is the work from BioFab where we took uh, seven different promoters and 11 different UTRs driving GFP or RFP on a medium copy plasmid. So when we measure the fluorescence of these two proteins, we see that the we can only explain, explain about 40% of the data. So if we use a simple factorial ANOVA, we can come up and score these parts across different conditions. So I'm showing here uh, part score across uh, different promoters and UTRs, and the bar error bars are showing how does a particular part varies with respect to its upstream genetic context or downstream genetic context. So you can imagine having this kind of a database with the part scores helps in designing and choosing parts for which are appropriate, which are reliable uh, for your application across different uh, systems. So the second thing is, how do we really uh, debug the failure modes that we are having with the host engineering? So there are a variety of methods people have used and there are a lot of genetic approaches, genetic engineering approaches currently available. And some of them are shown here, MAGE, TREMOR, and Cas9 systems have been uh, really uh, useful in E. coli. And not only E. coli, Cas9 has been shown across different um, systems. So uh, in this case, what happens is you can create mutations or insert a particular gene, and you can have a multiple uh, levels of genome engineering scales. And by that, you can reduce the toxicity and effects on the growth rate and physiology. So, when there are also other methods, you can also quantify how do we really quantify the stress levels. And there are methods people have used by not only quantifying, but also using a feedback regulation across the circuits. So, you can sense the stress and then you can really feedback into your circuit such that it performs to the, with respect to its stress, should not impact the cellular physiology. So one of the examples is from Kiesling group where they have shown that uh, acetyl-CoA can be converted to mevalonate and it converts into FPP, which is toxic to the cell. And uh, FPP goes into amorphidine. So you can imagine they found out uh, that if, if you can remove FPP from the uh, larger pop pool, you can reduce the stress levels. So they found out FPP responsive promoters and they uh, use that as up, down up, down-regulating the upstream promoter, Upstream promoter of the pathway and activating the downstream promoter. Uh, by that way, you can remove the FPP from a toxicity level to the uh, much, much better uh, physiologically relevant uh, levels of the cell. Then the second one is from uh, uh, Tom Ellis' lab. Uh, what they did was they have a usually stressed, de- they have a stress detection. Methodology where they have a GFP uh, cloned in on the chromosome, which can quantify the stress levels of the protein that you want to express. By quantifying that, you can find solution. How do you remediate or debug the stress levels? So as we move into bioeconomy, uh, we, researchers have started thinking about how do we contain the uh, engineered organisms when we released into the into the environment so biocontainment is one of the major uh, challenges uh, research community is thinking about uh, how do we really safeguard and the variety of strategies people have used over the years one of them is an engineered auxotrophy uh, in this case um toxicity of or toxicity of that particular uh, system can be engineered when it releases into the cell cell doesn't survive because of the toxic uh, gene expression the second method is you have uh, deletion of an essential gene, and you supply an amino acid, and the cell will survive in supplying uh, in the in the container uh, inside the contained environment. But when it released into the cell outside environment, it doesn't get these essential amino acids, and the cell doesn't survive. And then the third one is the induced lethality, where what happens is this when particular cell gets released into the environment. In presence of an inducer, you have a uh, gene expression which is toxic to the cell and cell uh, survival compromises. And then the finally, uh, gene flow prevention when particular plasmid is, you, you don't want, you have an environment and it gets released into the cell or transfers into the different organism, uh, the toxicity of that uh, gene expression uh, will kill the cells. There are very uh, uh, new methods come up which are multiplexing. Uh, these are recent papers This is from a church lab uh, and particularly they recoded the E. coli such that all the UAG codons are now UAA. And now this recoded organism uh, E. coli can uh, use, uh, researchers can engineer all the essential genes to have UAG uh, as a codon for uh, uh, a synthetic amino acid incorporation. So what happens is you need cells to survive, it needs this uh, synthetic amino acid to be supplied. So in absence of this, in the natural environment, cell doesn't survive and there are very few uh, escape mutants because of this mutation. Uh, this UAG incorporation has been done on multiple essential genes. Then the second approach recently has come up is where uh, they have a histone, essential histone genes. Uh, these two genes are regulated by PGAL uh, promoters, which are activated by JEV uh, protein in presence of an inducer. So in absence of inducer, these two essential proteins uh, are not formed and the cell doesn't survive in the natural environment. And the second level of redundancy they have incorporated is they have induction of a uh will cause the recombination between the LOXP sites and then you lose one of the genes and the cell uh, is incapable of surviving in the natural environment. So, if you think about it, if you, we need we need all of the d- different tools, along wet lab tools in the lab. Also, we need a software methodology to handle all of the different challenges that we have. So, defining how do we design it and what are the tools to design, we need softwares. We need methodology to model different approaches and applications, we need a software. And along the way we need different um, um, software platforms. So I have listed here some of them, for example, we need design, design and statistical approaches. How do we use uh, design of experiments? Methodologies, we need a you know, what are the what are the how do we store metadata, how do we store part data, uh, and then the sample tracking and strain location and so on and so forth. There is a lot of uh, open uh, applications for software development for synthetic biology. So this is shown in one of these reviews where, let's imagine I have an application uh, def- definition, we have a specification, based on that we can design the parts, um, uh, design the system, Use uh, d- we can have, uh, define them with, u- using the equations, we can solve them and predict on the computer what, how does it behave, based on that we can choose parts uh, using different uh, databases that we have, define them and to convert them into dis- sequences, and then the assemble them in, the, in silico and wet, go into the wet lab and build them in reality or maybe order it through the synthesis companies and then check the experimental data with the uh, in silico predictions. There are a variety of software people have been developing but there is no one stop shop for all of these tools together. We are still limited by how do we really keep the samples tracking, how do, what are the failures, how do we keep track of the failures. So we need a lot of uh, improvements, how do we handle the data. We also need a uh, move away from a simple data tables. So we have been still, all the researchers still use Excel sheets to uh, check the data or analyze the sequences, uh, analyze, analyze the data sets that they're having. We need to move away from that to more, more design and sequence constructions where we design is explained and we have the data along with the designs. We also need more visualization. Uh, how do we really access the data and visualize the data? How users are going to use it, score it, uh, or you know, that are more user-friendly and um, has a nice experience for using the data. So also at the, if you zoom out from all of these, we need there are multiple registries coming up across the world, and we need to really come up with a web of registries uh, so that all of these are connected, such that we all of these data sets are shareable and people are easy to share data is sharing between their different labs. And uh, research groups are learning from each other, they are sharing their standards, and so on and so forth. So we need a set of web registries, whereas all the data is accumulated in one place, and uh, it can be shared across the labs. But all of these solutions, right now, if you think about all the publications in um, synthetic biology, either they are focused on E. coli, or either the yeast. Uh, but we know from industrial biotechnology there are different in- organisms are used in industries, not only E. coli and yeast. There are a lot of organisms which have a huge potential for um, either it is a bioremediation or production of chemicals or antibiotics. So, unless we develop tools for all of the microbes, I don't think so we will be reaching a real potential of synthetic biology. I hope I have given you a, a brief overview of the challenges faced. Uh, in at least some of the generalized way Um, and um, I enjoyed talking to you, thank you.